Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. In just a few moments, I will begin ranting and raving. However, uh, before I do, a couple of things I'd like to mention. Number one, if you haven't already gotten your devotional for, for September, October, November, please take one with you as you leave this morning on the right-hand side out there. Secondly, you may or may not have noticed because of the rain that uh, the parking lot is in the process of being, uh, the cracks have already been filled and, and um, a part of it that was actually new last year was has been coated. All of it will be coated uh, this coming Tuesday, God willing, rain doesn't, if it goes away, and I think it will, and uh, then it'll be striped uh, Wednesday and be opened back up for use then from then on. And that's being done by John and Sandy Klein, and that's really a significant contribution to the church. If you had to write a check for it, you'd know what I'm talking about. So if you see John or Sandy, be sure and thank them for what they're doing. This coming Tuesday, I'll be going to Columbus. Uh, Charlie Swinesburg died, and Charlie, as a kid, attended here. He's probably the age of my oldest son. Uh, maybe a year. I think he's either 62 or 63. Janie comes here usually on a Saturday night, his sister, and and uh, their mother attended here for years and years and years. She was Bill Lewis's secretary forever, and then she retired, and I had her funeral when she was, uh, when she died up at Hillview. So, you can keep Janie in your prayers because it's 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 a little bit of a struggle for her. <clears throat> Matthew is in, has asked that we go back to the basics, and I wanted to sing a song for it, you know, but I got trumped. I, well, that's not a good word anymore, but anyway, anyway, I was overruled, shall I say, and because, uh, uh, see, there's a real good song about that, about Luke and Bob, Wagle and Willie and the boys, and but for some reason or other, they didn't think it was appropriate for church, so I didn't get to say anything. So, so we're going back, and one of these days, pretty soon, we're going to start classes on Sunday night to, for everybody here, but we'll take them in groups at a time to cover all of the fundamentals of the faith. And there's a reason for that that we'll talk about in just a few minutes. We're talking here about the assignment for today is the Word of God. And Matthew has tried to tell you, anytime you're asked a question, what is the Word of God, always answer Jesus. Because in this particular case, you're right. Because John says that Jesus is the living Word of God. What you and I have that we study and read is the written Word of God. And we're here primarily to talk about the written Word of God. But understand that when God wanted us to understand who He is, He actually put on skin and came to earth in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. 
John, in the opening verses of the Gospel of John, actually describes it. He said, in the beginning was the Word, meaning the, the, the living Word, Jesus, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, and without Him was not anything created that was created. He's talking about Jesus, the living embodiment of God. And so whenever you want to know what is God like, get to know Jesus, and you know, because this is the way he revealed himself. Now, God has spoken to us through the centuries in many different ways. After the Garden of Eden, with maybe one exception, but I don't think so, I think it's without exception. Man has never been able to have direct conversation with God in the body and live. And the Bible actually says that. Why? Because God cannot tolerate sin in his presence. And all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So he has to reveal himself in other ways because after the garden of because in the garden of Eve and he actually spent time with Adam and Eve the scripture says but then when sin came and and uh, he withdrew his his divine presence he talked in many instances through dreams if you remembered Jacob and the latter he spoke to in visions he provided prophets who were really just preachers who uh, emphasized the punishment if people didn't repent. He spoke through the priests who were the sons of Aaron. In one case, he even spoke through a donkey. I suspect that was some of my kinfolks he was talking to. So anyway, by the way, people laughed last night when I said that. So kind of wake up and get with it, would you? I need all the help I can get, you know. And so, but, but then, the, then, then the Lord provided the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews actually starts off by describing that. It says in verse 1, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed whom he appointed heir of all things. So he's talking about the answer to that question is, is Jesus. Now, when we talk, talk about the, the written word of God, some, some hard things need to be said. It isn't easy always to say some, some of the hard things, but and this is one of them. This book that we call the Bible or the Word of God, understand something, isn't anything but just a book with writing in it and some of it's in red letters, unless, and this is at the end of your outline, but I need to get to it now and then eventually get to it again. The Bible is nothing but a a book assembled by man and made available to the masses through a printing press. And yet, it claims to be something very, very special. 
when you go to the, in here again, in the book of Hebrews, if you go to that fourth chapter, in verse 12, it says, And the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit, the joint and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from the sight of God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before his eyes to whom we must give an account. So we need to avoid religious performances and really be genuine in who we are. But understand, the Word of God has a capacity to produce what God wants us to be. But only in the hands of the Holy Spirit, only in the hands of the Holy Spirit does it become the living Word of God. It becomes nothing but a book unless it's in the hands of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's important that you and I be born again so that our bodies contains the presence of the Holy Spirit so that when we read the Bible, the Spirit of God then has the tool in his hand to accomplish in our lives what God wants accomplished. When you go over into the book of, of um, Ephesians, Paul wrote more to the Ephesians than about anybody. In that last chapter, he says this, and I, I think it's important that you understand what I'm telling you. He says, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You take the helmet of salvation, and then he uses this term, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the, so the Word of God is a tool of the Holy Spirit to help you and I, which could never do it on our own, to help you and I achieve the degree of godliness to which God really wants us to be. And the church has lost a lot of its influence through the ages, at least in my lifetime, a lot, because we have emphasized conversion to the exclusion of maturity. Does that make sense to you? Now, that doesn't mean that the emphasis on conversion isn't important because the Bible says unless you be converted, you know, you're going to go to hell. So that but we have let it and it's as dumb as it can be it is dumb as as having a newborn baby born to a man and a woman take the new baby home and set him on the kitchen counter and say okay baby you're here now you're on your own we would never do that and so what what is really important is that it be fed matured encouraged educated and in cases disciplined in when necessary. The same principles are true in the spiritual realm. But there's one thing that has to be added that isn't ordinarily added. And, and in the most of my ministry, I, out of ignorance, did not do it. And that's this. When you read the Bible, 
unless you read it with the intent of obeying what you read, you're wasting your time. Far too often we've said the little ditty that we're saying, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. And there's truth to that for sure, and it's important. But just reading the Bible as a religious exercise may make you feel good, and you may learn a little something, but it isn't it doesn't accomplish what God wants accomplished. He wants us to read the Bible with this intent before we read. I will obey to the best of my ability through the power of the Holy Spirit what I read. I will become obedient to the faith. Because you see, there is faith that isn't obedient. Satan has, obe has disobedient faith. But if you read carefully the book of, of uh, Romans, which many theologians say is the most important book in the New Testament, if you read the book of Romans, you'll see in chapter 1, he begins with the term obedience to the faith. And in chapter 16, at the end of it, he concludes with the same phrase, obedience to the faith. In other words, he puts the whole book of Romans in quotation marks and saying, be obedient to the faith. You see, Satan has faith. He believes everything. He knows who Jesus is. He's had some first-hand experience, but he chooses to be an adversary. Most of us, rather than being an adversary, have chosen just to be present. It's like politicians who have no guts. Will, they'll always, instead of voting on a controversial thing, will say, present. And we need, if we're ever going to be the kind of influence in our world that God expects us to be, is to get past the conversion element to the degree to which we become disciples. Well, what the heck is a disciple? A disciple is an individual who has been converted, but continues to learn for the purpose of carrying out the will of God. And the New Testament says, when Jesus left this earth, and Matthew's really hung up on this, and I think he's right. He says, it's time we created believers who are disciples and not just believers who are believers and are still sucking the bottle. See, the New Testament had that problem too. In, in several different places, in, in the book of Corinthians, the apostle Paul said, I can't speak to you as though you mature because you're yet babies in the Spirit. And in the sixth chapter of the book of Hebrews, he says, he, he addresses the same subject that they're having there. He says this, therefore, that verse 1, chapter 6, and therefore means that the Apostle Paul probably had some influence here. Let us leave the elements, elementary teachings about Christ. He didn't say they weren't important. He said they're important. But let's get past them and go on to maturity. Not lying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. Instruction in about baptisms, laying on our hands, resurrection, dead, eternal judgment. And God permitting, we will go on from here. And it's the going on from these fundamentals when we become disciples. Jesus says, come to me and learn of me. That's what a disciple does. He's a learner with the intent of carrying out what he learns, being obedient to what he learns. Now, be very honest with you. Uh, 
I didn't get this kind of instruction when I was converted. You were expected to go to Sunday school, and you were, it was assumed that if you went to Sunday school, vacation, Bible school, Christian service camp, all that would be provided. But I was wrong. We need to go beyond that. There needs to be some, some, some part of, of us who say, look, we have underestimated dramatically to what we can become if we are, in, if we are disciplined in reading the word with the promise to God that with the presence of the Holy Spirit helping me understand it and empowering me, I will be obedient. And what we're calling you to consider is to prepare your life as believers. I'm not talking about lost people. I'm talking about those of us who have been Christians for many years. We get in all kinds of trouble because we stay babies in our faith. And he's wanting us, pleading with us in Scripture. And he's saying, he's saying, look, don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit through the use of the Word of God to the degree to which you can achieve in Christ. That's what he's really telling us. When you look again in this book of Hebrews, because he keeps, these, this bunch of guys must have been in a heap of trouble, because he keeps emphasizing the power of the Word of God when it is in the tool, as a tool of the Spirit of the living God. In the first chapter, in verse, what, 3, he says this, The Son, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Now, that, that's an interesting term and, and in, in using of it because it's, it's that use of, of the word power is Oh, that was one of the Apostle Paul's favorite terms. He uses it many times. And so uh, he keeps talking, and, and, and we'll mention it probably again, because here's how many of us, well, probably mo not very many of you, have ever actually seen dynamite work? We had to use it on the farm during a drought one time because a spring had gone under some rocks and we had to blow up the rocks. And, and it's an interesting thing to watch. We were halfway up the hill and we still got bombarded with some gravel from that when that thing exploded and destroyed. That, that word dynamite comes from a Greek word that in the Bible is translated power. The Greek word is dunamis. Can you see how dunamis translated into dynamite? But when you translate the word, it literally means power. And so when the Apostle Paul and the other writers of the New Testament were looking for the word that would accurately let people know how powerful the Word of God is, not just as a book laying around that you read once in a while, but in the tool, as a tool of the Holy Spirit in the life of believers, it can bring a dramatic change. And the dramatic changes in people's lives is what influences a lost world. 
And we are to become, the scripture says then, living letters read of men. Because the only Jesus that most people are ever going to see who are not believers is the one they see in you and me. We become God's tool for letting the world know who he is. The word of God is sometimes referred to as the gospel. We use that word a lot. I don't know how many of you, if you were asked, could give a definition of the gospel or even know in scripture where to find it. You should know. Even if you can't remember to quote the verses, you should know where to find it. If you go to the 15th chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians, you will see that he carefully spells out what the gospel is. And it's easy to remember. Here's what he writes to the church at Corinth. And, and it was a trouble church. All churches have trouble. And this one had it in, in steroids. He starts off by saying, now, brethren, I want to remind you of the gospel. It's the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you're taking your stand. By this gospel, and if you want to substitute the words good news, you can, and you'd be legitimate. By this good news, you were saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. It's the preaching of the word, you see. Empowered by the Holy Spirit. That, bring, that convicts our conscience to the place. Where we feel guilty about our sin. And want to change. And those are the people that are converted. That's the reason the Bible says, you know. They can't hear without a preacher. And how shall they have a preacher unless he be sent? You have to, and Paul calls it, people say it's foolishness, but it's God's tool for getting people to heaven. And oh, how we need Bible preachers today. There's a shortage of them like you cannot imagine. Even the Catholic priests are telling me, we can't get priests, we're thinking about women. Lord have mercy. So, you know, yeah, my wife's gone. I can get away with this. She's she's in Indiana, and so I'm 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 free at last, free at last. And because the power of the Word of God will permit us to overcome sin, and sin is what separates us from God, who cannot tolerate sin in His presence. So how can you get to heaven unless the sin problem is taken care of? And all of us have sinned. And you know what? And there's nothing we can do about it. Because sinners cannot fix sin. But Jesus comes along and fixes it on the cross. And God said... What he did in the shedding of his blood on the cross is sufficient to pay for the sins of anybody who's willing to repent and accept him as my only begotten son. It was promised in the book of Isaiah, in the 55th chapter of Isaiah. That's the reason it's called good news. The, the, the trap that we built for ourselves through disobedience has been sprung and we ain't in it. 
We've been set free from the penalty of sin. The penalty has been paid. Now, that's the reason it's called dynamite. It did in a powerful way what we couldn't do. And then God said, I'm going to give it to you freely. It's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't do anything to deserve it. But if you ask, you'll receive. And what you're receiving, if you remain faithful, is the assurance of eternal life in the presence of God because now the sin problem has been taken care of. And when you come into the presence of God, you can actually come into his real presence because the sin that separates has been paid for and is out of the way. Good news? Yes, it is. The Bible is also refers to itself as revelation. Now understand that the last book in the Bible is often mispronounced. It is not revelations with an S. It is revelation singular. It is the revelation of who Jesus is. And who's Jesus? He's God in the flesh. That's what the book of Revelation is all. We get all hung up on the end of times and when it's going to talk about, and we miss the real message there of who Jesus is, regardless of what's going on in the political world where the Satan is in control. We still win. Read the last two chapters. It begins by saying what I just got through saying. Chapter 1, verse 1, book of Revelation. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what should soon come to pass. We're the servants. Now, what we're looking to do here is to get believers to the place where they know they're going to go to heaven when they die. And if you have trouble with that, we need to preach a sermon about first, in 1 first John. All through the book of 1 John, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, you know, this was so you could know. The worst thing that can happen to a believer is instead of looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, to look internally at ourselves because it's kind of ugly. And you see all the, because you know yourself better than anybody, and you see all the stuff and you say, well, how can I go to heaven? If God can't stand sin. And if you were to go on that basis, you can't. But we don't. We don't. Because when we, when we put our faith in Jesus and we mature in our faith, we begin to look like Jesus. In fact, when we stand before God and we stand before Jesus, who is our judge, by the way, because he's the heir of all things, and he's going to be the judge. And, and if we're his children, if we're his brothers and sisters in the faith, or whatever term you want to use in the family of God, and we come before Jesus, and he says, Hey, brother, you know, if I was black, I'd say, Hey, bro, 
Is that right? I hear that you, some of you black guys, you say, hey, bro. I, I always thought it meant bad, rotten, and ornery, but that's, you know, I guess it does, and I think it means brother. So we stand, we come then through Jesus into the presence of the Heavenly Father without fear of condemnation. Because the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God creates men and women of God who are adopted into His family. And so when we come before God, we're a part of His adopted family. That's the term he uses. I didn't make it up. And so you can live your life without fear of the penalty of death. It's going to come. That's predetermined. But the, the, the penalty of sin has been overcome and taken care of. And you ought to be able to breathe easier. The Bible reveals who God is through Jesus Christ. It reveals who we are who have sinned against God and, what, and it reveals what has been done to fix it. And the Word of God then also is truth. Why is it the truth? You see, because the Word of God in the hand of the Spirit of God can take men and women and through the power, this wonderful dynamite power of the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit of God can conform you and me to the image of Jesus. And people can actually... Now, don't tell me it can't be done in your life because you're denying the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you that God has the power in every last one of you who have accepted Jesus Christ to get you to the place where Christ can be seen in you. Just And you don't have to say a stinking word. Just be there who you are. Now you may say, hey, how's that possible? When that, now let's follow my reading. And this is just from the scripture. What is the truth? Jesus is the embodiment of the truth. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Only way going to get there. Ain't no other way. So he's the embodiment of truth. Our world is looking for truth. See, many years ago, a brilliant man named Albert Einstein came up with a theory called the theory of what? Relativity. Relativity means there is no, no stated truth, and so it's ever-changing. So what they did is they took a scientific theory and applied it to moral and spiritual stuff. It's a misapplication. And so everybody said, well, what you, that's your truth. This is my truth. This is your, no, there is no such thing. And here's the dumb thing that they, there's absolutely no such thing as total truth. And see, that's self, and, and you'd fail in class if you said that because it's a contradiction of terms. You've said, you have made an absolute statement about, you've said absolutely, there's no absolute. 
I think that's self-contradictory. There is an absolute, and it's in, in the spirit, in the kingdom of God, and it's none other than Jesus himself. And when we are conformed to his image through the power of the Holy Spirit and the use of the word of God, the written word of God, you know what happens? The character qualities of Jesus are now seen in us. You don't have to look like him physically. But the character of an individual is what really counts. Oh, Dwight L. Moody said, character is what people have in the dark. You don't have to pretend. That's who you really are. So what are the character qualities of Jesus? In the New Testament, it's clearly spelled out in the fifth chapter of the book of Galatians, and you've seen it many times. It is the result of the presence of the Holy Spirit. The term that is used in the Bible in the fifth chapter of Galatians is it is the fruit of the Spirit. What is fruit? Fruit is the result of the presence of the Holy Spirit. What are those qualities that if they if you a believer have those qualities, it's it's seeing Jesus in you, and you need to know that it's there too. He says it this way. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. This is agape love now, not just friendly stuff. Joy which is unspeakable and full of glory. Peace means we get along with each other, even though some of us at time are jerks. No, that's wrong. All of us at one time or another are jerks. Patience, kindness, goodness. What is it the old poet said? The meek and the gentle, the ribald and the rude. He took as he found them and did them all good. That was Jesus. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these things, there's no law. These are the character qualities of Jesus that were demonstrated to him when he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And those are the character qualities that he wants in you as a believer and not just a pew sitter who hits the bucket for a few bucks. No. He wants you to become a recommendation of who he is and nothing short of that. I wish I had been told that years ago. But folks, it can't happen unless you faithfully read the Word of God with the commitment that you will allow the Holy Spirit to make it clear to you so that you will obey it. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. You just might as well leave it on the coffee table. But if you read your word praying that the Spirit of God will help you take what you read and make it alive to demonstrate before men what God wants you to know. You know, when I was a kid, until I was several years old, really, probably high school, our little church at Germantown, Kentucky, about 200 people on a Sunday morning. Every August had a two-week revival. And we had guys who were nothing but professional evangelists. These were guys that would come and preach. They would bring some special music and so on. And they would come and they would preach 
for two weeks, 14 sermons. We used to say an evangelist, when we were making fun of him, was a, a guy who had 14 sermons in a fast car. They would come and they go. And I was reading this past week an interesting book by an old preacher from here in Ohio, in Canton, Ohio. The book is, was written by P.H. Welshmer. His, he was at First uh, Church in Canton, Ohio for many years. Had the largest Sunday school in the United States. Pearl, Pearl's name, P.H.'s name was really Pearl. No wonder he called himself P.H. But anyway, he told this story and it's written in his book. Marshall Leggett, a friend of mine who was his youth minister, and, and Marshall was telling us, and then P.H. had written about it, this story I'm going to tell you, in a, uh, in a, book, in a handout for the churches called The Lookout. Old Brother Welshmore was a character. And, uh, but anyway, they'd had a two-week revival. And the preacher had come and preached, and he'd left town. Now, during that revival, this was way back there when the church in Canton first started. It's interesting, because he'd been the preacher in Billersburg, Ohio, and then he went to Canton, where that thing just bloomed into something big. They'd have 25,000, 3,000 people in Sunday school way back in, when all this took place. Because at that time... That started, the, there were some notable national evangelists. One of them had been an ex-baseball player. He actually, and they would come to a town, and they would build what they called a tabernacle and put chairs in it. And on the floor of the tabernacle, they would put a couple of inches of sawdust. That's why it was called the Sawdust Trail, believe it or not. And so had this guy come to town, and he preached, and, and back then, you got whatever, we could find two or three lots that you could put it together, and that's, that's where they would build the tabernacle, and the churches would help, and they'd fill it up. I mean, it was hell, fire, and damnation, and it really, and the music was loud, and it was really meant to, to get the attention of the whole town, and we had one here in Portsmouth, down where, right across the street from where uh, it used to be Trinity Church, it's now uh, Cornerstone Church, Methodist Church is, was a tabernacle for that purpose. And in Canton, there must be a railroad there, the way this reads, and, it, and, and this tabernacle was, written real, was erected real close to that tabernacle. And the preacher was preaching, and across the road, across the tracks, and you ever hear the term from the other side of the tracks? which always meant, this is poor white trash and we don't have anything to do with them. Then there's the hilltop, you know how that goes. Because it used to be that way here. Well, anyway, the preacher was preaching, and this guy who lived across the tracks, his wife had died in giving childbirth to the last baby little boy, had two daughters, both of them under 12, and a little seven-year-old boy, and the daddy drank too much. But the little kids, out of curiosity, went across the tracks to the church meeting. And at the invitation time, two little girls holding hands walked down the aisle. One of the women in the church, if you know what I mean, was saying, we don't want that kind of people here. The preacher, God bless him, 
held his ground and said, they're going to stay, and he went ahead and baptized them. Last night of the revival, the little seven-year-old boy walked down the aisle. They baptized him too. The following Sunday, the daddy came to church to argue about what had happened when he finally woke up to it. And before he left, he was saved. Twenty years later, this evangelist comes back through Canton and to visit with Welshmer. And he said, just out of curiosity, what happened to that family? Do you know? Welshmer said, yeah, I know. He said, you know the two little girls? They married boys here in the church. They're both singing in the choir and they teach Sunday school. The daddy, whatever happened to him? The daddy is now our mayor. And he said, what about the little boy? He said, he's married now. And uh, he's a deacon in our church. And he's the president of Rotary. I don't know that that's a compliment, but that's what he said. Here's what I'm getting to. The Word of God is alive and powerful and can make dramatic and powerful changes in anybody's life who is willing to come to God on the basis that here is the Word of God and in the hands of the Spirit of God, He can turn us into what He wants us to be. And that's how we become disciples and not just converts. And if your problem is profanity, if your problem is chasing women, if your problem, whatever it is, the Word of God, which is alive and powerful and able to change all of that and turn us into living examples of who Jesus is. God bless you. I'm done. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we ask you to bless this gathering of people and help us, God. Help us, I pray, to make the commitment to read your word with the commitment to you that we're going to obey as the, through the power of your Holy Spirit what we read. And we want our lives to get to the place where wherever we go, whoever we meet, they see Jesus in us. We pray, Father, that we can become good disciples and good living letters so people will know who you are and then press into the kingdom of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. You're free to go. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.